0: So welcome everybody to episode 10 of the White Shark Interest Group podcast. We are Facebook's largest White Shark specific group. We have currently, we are just edging, we are about 10 members away from 48,000 members. So by the time you hear this, we're probably already over 48,000. And we really appreciate all the discussion and the debates that we have inside the group. So if you're not a member and you listen to this podcast, please head over to Facebook and search the White Shark interest group. You will find us to join and you'll be asked a question. And if it is because you've heard this podcast and you're not a member, please give us a shout out and tell us that you heard the podcast and you wanna join. Our motto is to educate, conserve, and protect great white sharks. And we do that through all our members, having healthy debate and discussion on all manner of topics. There's also videos and pictures that you might wanna see when you join there. So please. Head over if you're not a member. Just before we get started, I'd like to give a couple of shout-outs if I can. Firstly, to one of our members, Sean Marie McDonald, who's been a massive supporter of our podcast so far, and uh, did a post, lots of posts with like almost like a mini review of each episode. Which cannot thank you enough. Your insight and your your feedback is so valuable to us as admins who put this stuff together so thank you so much also to Robbie Perth clearly a fan of the podcast and Robbie just thank you so much for your feedback it really does mean a lot when we put some time and effort into here to know that there's an audience out there and people do actually want to listen to the guests that we've got and the topics that we cover so thank you so much Robbie for that as well now normally about this time I would say who we've got on the show today. So I'm joined today, firstly, by our founder, Dirk Schmidt. Hi, everybody. And I normally then say what guests that we're going to have or what the topic of conversation is, but Dirk is uh, turning the tables today and uh, flipping it on me, because I believe, Dirk, that we want to talk about um, a little film I made.
1: I'm, a, I'm really honoured to actually turn the tables today on you and uh, be on the other side of the microphone, literally. It's very strange. It is, isn't it? And interview Ricardo Lacoffe, <laughs> the director and producer of The Great White Chocolate, legend which you produced in 2014 just a little bit about your legend i mean um, you've produced several uh, films uh, i think your latest one is unit 11 one of the earlier ones the justice tale in which you've also acted you uh, your composer you compose music you're a truly gifted individual uh, recorded so um, you know we really honored not only to have you as uh, part of the admin team but also that you uh, produced the intro for the white Shark group as well which is really really awesome so thank you very much for that as well
0: i appreciate that Derek. that little intro video by the way is one i'm really super proud of that and we seem to have quite a lot of people viewing it so if anybody hasn't seen it it's in the group or you can search on youtube i do all kinds of things you're right and i really appreciate those words it's very uh it's very kind of you
1: you deserve credit i mean because it's just visible it's it's there and and also you know what the work that you've done for sharks is is really amazing but coming to sharks uh, living in the uk and being literally born, i would assume how did you get into sharks in the first place, let alone white sharks. What got you into or interested into sharks?
0: I've always had an interest in sharks. I mean, growing up, it's never been something that I've been totally focused on. But I mean, every kid growing up sees Jaws. I mean, I'm, I'm the age, as many of us are, that that was one of our first introductions to, to sharks. And we've said that many times. And it's only looking back now that I do remember that that was my first introduction to sharks. I'm from the UK, but I grew up in Canada. One of the first memories I have is being in a driving theatre in Canada in the back of a, you know, a station wagon car watching Jaws. Vague memories of it, you know, certain images and things. I mean, why the hell my parents were letting me watch Jaws when I was about three, four years old? I have no idea. But hey, but that's where I remember. I remember the shark and you know, we look at it now as a rubber shark, but it just that stuck with me. So I've always had that interest in, in sharks. And then, you know, you go through school and you occasionally see a book that's got, you know, something about sharks and, and rays and so on, and you have an interest. But I was never really that focused on it because as we've talked about before and on some of the other episodes, I had this horrendous fear of water. Open water, just the idea of being out at sea just terrified me to the point you know you go to the beach as a kid and it's like i'm not going past my ankles because i'm absolutely petrified of water and i think sharks is probably in the background of that somewhere the fear of don't know what's under the water of all the things that might be under the water the last thing you want to encounter you know is a shark Hmm. i guess particularly a great white shark but so it, it was kind of this you know born of a of a a you know, you, you, you get excited about your fear, I guess. You, you don't want to go and face your fear, especially at that younger age. But just the idea of being in the water and something could be there. It's like a horror film. Everybody likes being scared sometimes. So I think it was probably born of that originally. But to focus on, on sharks specifically, and then I suppose I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I, I spent a lot of time in my sort of early 20s being a session musician and recording musician. And it was only by chance I got into filmmaking, and then it was only by chance from filmmaking I actually did anything with sharks. So it, it was a very kind of long, long process to to end up where I find myself out on a boat in South Africa, pointing my camera at great white sharks breaching.
1: But what got you into then into the white shark world, as such? I mean, what made you? What compelled you, if I can say that? I mean, your fear of, of open water, and what compelled you is to go out with you know with Rob Lawrence to Seal Island, which is the middle of False Bay, and some really long swimming swim back to land. So what kind? kind kind of made you overcome your fear in a way and your interest in white sharks that compelled you to to get out there?
0: Well, that was my wife. That was Rachel. (laughs) We'd been together for a while and we were looking at places we were going to go on vacation. And and suddenly she just said, why don't we go shark cage diving? And and instantly it was just like, absolutely, you know, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. We just thought, let's go do that. So so initially, it's because we went out as, as tourists. We wanted to go to South Africa. I knew nothing about cage diving. Uh, I knew very little about the False Bay area. I'd seen Shark Week. I'd seen Air Jaws and those kind of shows. So I was aware of breaching. I'd seen so many images. But I, I, wasn't re- I didn't really know the area. I didn't really know the, the sort of topic so much and it was only from going out as a, as a tourist we said let's go do that that sounds like a you know awesome idea for a for a vacation we didn't know also that that meant in south africa you've got to go in the winter because that was shark season yeah. so we thought we we're going to go out of south africa and it'll be all these like nice beaches and you know hanging out on the harbor and stuff and actually no it's those massive winds and the rain and, and the freezing cold water um, as you'll know obviously so we went out as tourists i'd been filmmaking for quite a while and you know and, and earning commissions and working in that industry along with many other industries that I I do some work in. But that was something that I was really working on at that time. So I took my camera out, sort of above average camera. We got a recommendation for Rob Lawrence's company for African Shark Eco charters which thank goodness we did (laughs) because if you want to go out and see them, it was like best of the best. We really landed lucky getting on that boat. So we ended up in South Africa. I'd got a camera. I think to have an interest in filming sharks, I'd taken the camera anyway because I thought I'm going to, you know, if it's going to do like a home video, let's at least make it decent quality. And I ended up making a little film after we'd shot out there. I look back on it now, it's terrible, because I'm like, I'm I'm hyping up shark breaches. (laughs) The only breach we saw was kind of like just the top of the head of the shark coming out of the water. But it was like, we'd never seen that before, so that was stunning. You know, we didn't see any big Polaris breaches or anything like that going on on that first trip. What really got me hooked was firstly the realisation when we saw our first white shark, when we saw it rising up. From the really from the deep rob had put the boat out near the island and we were just waiting for the sharks to turn up and just saw this white belly of a great white shark rising up just really slowly it wasn't coming for decoys was not coming for baits it was just swimming up to the surface kind of like almost backwards where it's just it's white belly that you're looking at and you could see the mouth and and just within those few seconds realizing we'd just been completely lied to by the media it's hard to describe you'll know this because you've seen this and anyone who's fortunate to have been out and seen it many of our members have you'll know you you just know in a second this is not what shark week told me these these creatures were about that little spark there's very few moments in life i think that i've had some kind of obvious realization that something has changed in life and that was one of them it was an instant sort of it was a, a gut feeling and a very sort of like primal sort of connection to the creature that you know that's that's a great white shark that's one of the that's one of the largest predators you know on the planet and, and one of the most misunderstood animals and i'm just staring at one coming out of the water and i've got a camera in my hand so it's a natural reaction point the camera and film that thing and i ended up putting this little film together i'm not even gonna say the name of it because it's really embarrassing it's really old and it's just really <laughs> it's just some home video footage and we didn't even have proper like underwater cameras at that time we just had like a the little sort of point and shoot cameras uh, and it does look it looks quite poor but you know, it, still I'd done it, and what I did is I actually sent that to Rob and Karen at their company mm-hmm. afterwards, and said, "Hey, I was out there. We did a we did about three or four days with them, uh, rather than just the one day trip." So we've got a good experience of what that was like. His crew at the time had people like Brandon Kilbride, who we've had on one of our episodes now, and bizarrely enough, lives here in the UK and he's even coming around for lunch tomorrow, which is, I haven't seen him for years. So he was on the boat and he all this, Rob's crew were a big part in kind of getting us excited about sharks. But I remember I put this little film and I sent it to Rob and Cara and said, if you want to use any of this footage on your website, or you want to, you know, I noticed they didn't really have much video out there, feel free to use it. And then... They actually came back to me and said, the way I'd portrayed sharks in this little film, maybe I will put a link up for it. I don't know. We'll see. But the way I'd portrayed sharks was very different. I'd I'd obviously seen something different in white shark to what your normal media presentation was and thought, you know, I'll try and capture that. So there was no, there was no Jaws music. There was no big teeth. There was no drama. we would got a fantastic seal and sharks, like predation activity and a chase going on, which was fantastic. You know, a lot of splashing on the surface and the seal outrunning the shark, but there's just said i'd sort of portrayed it in the edit afterwards in a very different way the way that they want people to see sharks so would i mind doing some promotional work for them appreciate this is quite a quite a long quite a long story but what it came down to is i absolutely said of course i will the chance to like use your professional talents and for something like that but i had the problem that i'd only got a limited amount of footage from what i'd shot and Karen actually said oh rob's got a rob's got a box full of tapes that he's been shooting for, for years. He's always had a camera and he's always just been filming things out on the boat. We can send you the tapes. I mean, I'm frothing at the mouth at this point. (laughs) Rob Lawrence is going to send me a box of about 10 years worth of tapes of white shark activity. Are you kidding? They actually sent me this box over. I've still got it here because I look after it for them. And it was about 50 hours of breach activity and predations. And I mean, everything that you know that experience of going out in false bait, I'd got 50 hours of it on tape. Whoa. I know.
2: It's a cousin.
0: Yeah, it's a cousin.
3: Come
2: on, come on, come on. Stop.
0: I've still got and I've still got all that footage and it's preserved some of it's older footage but it doesn't matter because it still looks fantastic I've sort of HD upscaled some of it I'm sat on this footage that that I just had to use and when we ended up then making a documentary I got obviously tons of archive footage there but Rob Lawrence 50 hours worth of vintage shark material from False Bay I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, I was hooked. I was hooked at that point.
1: So Ricardo, but then in coming to uh, to, to when you actually made the movie. So just before you, I am going to ask you, I'd like to ask you what made you want to make the movie and, and why did you choose the t- title Great White Legend?
0: Titles are always a funny one. I knew it had to have the word Great White Shark in there somewhere. Because I work in that industry, you need something that piques some interest. If I'd come up with some really ambiguous, you know, title that that meant something to me, but it didn't say the word shark in it, you're just not going to get people's attention, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want something, you know, Great White Shark Killer, Great White Shark Teeth. Great, you know, it wasn't. I wanted something that was a bit of a, an image. And the, the thing that stuck and where that title came from was that, and I, I'll get to a minute about how we then, came to actually want to make a film. But in terms of the title, you touched on this when we interviewed you for this film. The word was primal. You said it's a very, like Seal Island is a very primal area. And this creature is, you know, the the white sharks is a, you know, millions of years of evolution. And it's something that just goes, Back in history forever, no matter all the differences in society and the way, you know, human beings have evolved and changed our life, you know, in such a short space of time and in the, in the scheme of things, great white sharks have been there you know, for millions of years and pretty much unchanged in that time. So these things are kind of almost watching us in slow motion, just there in slow motion. We just pinged on the map a few hundred years ago and, and started doing what we do as humans. Right. But it just, I wanted something that was about, it was the it was the kind of myths about white sharks. You know, you look back in history and you look back at all those old, you know, seafarers, drawings and stories of these ocean monsters that you can now probably put down and say they were probably talking about white sharks at that point. It was that kind of sense of, a, of an age of these legends and myth that 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 humans have had about white sharks for so long. And then seeing like uh, Rob, cause I didn't have children at the time, but with Rob, so he's out there and he's interacting with white sharks on a daily basis and he's got young children. So I really wanted to kind of capture something about how for all the history of, you know, man's interactions with white sharks and all the legends and tales and myths that we've ever been told about. And we've actually got an opportunity with, particularly with children and the younger generation to actually write some new tales and legends and myths. So where we used to talk about it was the seafarers talking about these monsters. And to a degree that is exactly what, you know, Shark Week still tries to sell us on. Nothing much has changed in, in that sense. We just do it on HD 4K video now instead of old pictures of, you know, seafaring tales. But with the younger generation, we've got a chance to actually write something new and tell a different story. And that that was the whole crux of the film. And that's why we opened it with Rob staring out to sea. And we closed it with Rob and his children staring out to sea. And the whole end piece of the film is all about what, what tale do we want to tell? What legends? Yeah. What's the time now? And how we look at White Sharks now? How is that going to get looked at in 300 years time? The same the way that we look back 300 Years and see all the tales of monsters right um, so that's really where the title came from we'd heard enough myths tales and legends about great white sharks so we decided to travel back to south africa cameras in hand and with the help of some of the most knowledgeable people in the area we would dispel those myths tell a new tale about great whites and define a new legend for future generations
1: And you also had interviewed quite a few people in the shark world, which gave their perception of the shark and sharks in general. What is the message that you wanted to portray in the movie?
0: Well, originally it was, can we just do whatever Shark Week is not doing? It really was a, an antithesis of, of Shark Week because I was so pissed off that I'd been lied to by the media. I'd never been out and seen white sharks before. I was supremely pissed that I'd just been fed a story and an image that just was not true. Yeah. As much as all those shows are fascinating and entertaining, just they, they had no message to them. Rarely, rarely had a message even though the, the, the video looked exciting and the images were, were stunning. But you never got what you got in books uh, on film. It was still sensationalised. So having been out there and seen an experience which instantly told you that all that kind of Shark Week nonsense is is pretty much a lie, or it's about 1% of a shark's, a shark's behaviour – is what you see on a lot of those shows. That transformative experience of going out on that kind of cage diving experience and overturning how you viewed sharks, is there any way to capture that in a film that is also then not boring? Mm -hmm. Because no one wants to hear that story. No one wants to hear that I went out to Seal Island and the sharks pirating everywhere and there was no teeth, it wasn't all about blood and there was no drama and I didn't hear the Jaws music. Who wants, who wants that story? Right. That's not what you want to watch on a film, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was the antithesis of that, you know, and the fact that Robin Corrin had said, look, the way you've presented sharks here, white sharks is very different. It was like, okay, can we do more
1: with that? I wonder. Yeah. And, I, and I think you do that brilliantly. I mean, it's, it comes across, I mean, it's really the misunderstood predator. I mean, uh, even with the advent of Jaws, and you know, I think I've said this many times, it's, I mean, it really put the white shark into the limelight, and it became literally an iconic species that everybody used to love to hate, and the media, to a large extent, still hates the white shark. Well, they actually love the white shark because it sells, sells their headlines. Coming back to Jaws, and what are your first emotions when you, I know you describe it generally when you saw your first white shark rolling up to the, to the surface, but uh, what was your first emotion? when you soared underwater when you did you went into the cage yeah describe how you felt about it and describe what you know flooded through your brain in terms of how you felt your emotions and just the whole visual aspect that you were you know being presented
0: it's a really interesting uh, a- again an evolution of how, how we felt because initially we're on top of the boat we've anchored up we'd seen some breaches and things in the distance we'd seen a few splashes but we'd not seen a white shark so then we see this white shark rising up And I instantly turned to Rachel. Rachel, by the way, she's not joining us today because we have this thing called children now, but Rachel very much was involved in in writing and and producing and filming the great white shark legend. She turned to me and I turned to her as soon as we saw the shark rising up and said, let's get suited up. I've got to get in that cage. I need to go and see... That underwater, I need to get in their world and see this. And this is what cage diving done right can give you. Because we we got suited up, we get in the water. You're still at that time. It's like what what am I going to see here? I'm actually getting in the water now. There's just me and this, this few metal bars. And you've said this before. If that shark wanted to get in that cage, it would get in that cage. But and you know that you know you've told yourself you're in this nice safe cage. But so we're <laughs> in the water. I wasn't a scuba diver either. I mean Rob's the company fortunate give you give you the you know the the feed from the top from the tanks so you don't have to go with the full scuba gear on you know you get the hook system but you can actually stay underwater uh, as opposed to just holding your breath. So we're under there under the water. First thing I remember is just how how peaceful it was. Mm -hmm. I'm in the cage, me and Rachel, I'm having a bit of trouble with the breathing equipment and the water's going up my nose a little bit. So I'm trying to fight that. But the whole time I'm just thinking, this is so serene. This is so peaceful. Just got the noise of the, the bubbles in my ears and there's just fish everywhere. And it's just, this is incredible. I remember the water that day was really kind of almost like a almost like a purple color, like purpley green color. The visibility wasn't great because it, it isn't a spot for great visibility. I'm just kind of there, just enjoying the this idea that I'm I'm now underwater. This is a guy who like, you know, five hours before was absolutely bricking myself about the idea of even being out on a boat on the water. Now I'm in a cage and I know the shark's in the water because we've seen some. Uh, so I'm there with Rachel and we're kind of in this two-man cage. And then I, I turned to Rachel at one point and I saw her eyes widening and she was pointing behind me, I mean, it's almost comical. It's almost a joke. She's like, you know, just size wide and pointing. And I turned to the right, I'm in the right hand side of the cage and I turned to my right just in time to see this probably about a four meter white shark just heading straight towards the cage. And not in a, not in a, you know, you see those horrible sort of bad bait technique videos where they've purposely tried to ram sharks into the cage. It wasn't like that. It was just swimming towards the cage and it swam so close to go, I literally turned around and found that its nose was just pushing through the little gap in the cage. It wasn't rammed. It wasn't trying to get in. It was just on its way on like a turn. But it just happened to get that close to the cage that its nose was just popping into the, into the little viewing port. And I'm literally one meter from a shark's from a shark's nose. I'm, my heart's just going crazy. I mean, I wasn't particularly the fittest of guys and not still am, so it's like, please don't have a heart attack. You know, I'm actually, my heart's just going crazy and I could feel Rachel grabbing my hand and I'm like, there's a there's a, sh- a great white shark a meter from my face and I'm staring right down its mouth. I can see down its mouth. This is insane. This is crazy, you know, but the whole time while that's happening, I'm just thinking how how peaceful and serene it is how quiet it is and the shark just did its little turn swam past the front of the cage and from then on for about 15-20 minutes on that first dive was just you know rachel and i tapping each other and pointing to where you see the next shark coming and here comes one behind you and here's a shark dived out the way because here comes a bigger shark and we're just i mean these were probably peak times for for cage diving you know in that area there were players around the boat and and we just spent 20 minutes half an hour on that first dive just absolutely just I can't I can't describe a sense of calm to be honest dirk you probably experienced this I'm not sure yeah just felt calm
1: I mean I love seeing sharks generally but uh, you know, the great whites just have a certain uh, presence around them it's just that they literally at that area they're the lord of the season and um, mm. they just the, the supreme predator and it, I mean if it wanted to get you it would get you but it doesn't I mean so, you know you're not on this menu and so I wanted to ask you how how did you feel about cage diving? I mean, you obviously spent some t- time in the cage. You know, Rob runs a very good operation with regarding to bringing sharks in and uh, making sure that people can see them. But how do you feel about cage diving? Because it's always a bit of a controversial topic, but in as such, as a filmmaker and as a having seen these sharks in, in real life, what are your feelings about cage diving?
0: Before going out there, I had no experience of any controversy around cage diving because I wasn't really experienced in the, in the white shark world. I mean, much of that, to be fair, has actually come from being a member and and then admin of, of your group. So my experience at the time, I didn't know that there was any real controversy around it. I did have a perception before that it was going to be all the, you know, the buckets of blood. It would be, you know, Brody character on the back of the orca saying, chum some of this shit and throwing all the blood and the liver in the water. So that's kind of a perception I thought it was going to be. So I was really pleasantly surprised to see just how professional and low impact it was. But I didn't know that there was anything, anyone had, a, had an issue with it. I, I was more concentrated at the time, to be fair, on on the safety aspect of concentrating on what these guys who clearly were experienced, you know, Rob and his crew, how they looked after guests on the boat and how they were extremely knowledgeable. And, and the amount, just while you're waiting for sharks to turn up, the amount of education that you get mm-hmm. from, you know, a quiet hour with people like Brandon and Rob and his, and his crew and Welly, who was the bait guy, um, just talking to them and hanging on the boat was just that experience alone, had I not seen a shark and got in the water, I don't think I would have been disappointed that day because it was just, it was education about sharks.
2: Okay, you also want to watch out for seals. Okay. So seals and birds. Seals and birds are what you're looking for, because huh? they, they're the telltale signs. They are a lot better than ours.
3: I've learned a lot from him the last three, three and a half years. So a lot of just shark related things, but I, every, every day I'm pretty much learning something new from him.
2: He's probably going to be staying a little bit deeper. We'll try and get him up on the surface, but we've picked him up fairly quickly. Okay. Right. Up top is probably going to be one of your better viewing spots when he arrives.
0: Um, interestingly, just on a on a safety aspect and how cage diving works, by the way, I was trying to get out of the cage, and I don't know if I've told this story before, but I, so I was getting out of the cage, and it was my first dive ever. I was very inexperienced, and I'd, I'd not listened properly. I guess I was too excited, but I, I was getting out of the cage the wrong way. So... Obviously, what you should do is maybe have your back to the boat and lift yourself up and they'll help you get onto the side of the boat or the other way around. So they'd flip the lid on the cage and I was getting out the side of the cage. So I'd kind of perch my backside on the side of the cage with my back to the open water. So I'd not got the cage lid, I'd not got the boat. And and I started falling backwards. Oh, um, so, And I was like, it was... I'm like, okay, I, in an instant, I'm like, I'm in false bait. I've just been under the water. I've seen probably about four or five great white sharks. I'm now falling backwards out of the cage, and I've realized the mistake I've made. I've not done it correctly. And here's our safety and a good operator works. As I was doing that, Welly, uh, Wellington, who's one of the guys on Rob's crew, I think he's still on Rob's crew. Yeah, I think he is, yeah. Expert bait handler and does it very, very consciously of not to negatively impact the sharks. So anyway, Welly had seen what was happening, and there's this guy, you know, with his fat ass falling out of a cage to the open water. And he actually reached over and grabbed my weight belt that was around my waist and held onto me while I could get my hands onto the, um, onto the side of the cage. Wow. So I held there as quick as I could and tried to pull myself back up, which I did. They'd got me, they'd seen this happening, you know. Ten, 10 minutes before it was even going to happen, they were they were obviously seeing this guy's falling. So he grabbed me, helped me up onto the boat. I turned around the right way, got onto the boat. Well, I kind of flopped onto the boat like a fish, to be honest. At which point, Brandon, who was working on the boat at the time, started clapping me and cheering and uh, <laughs> making a good joke about the fact that... And then well, he tapped me on the arm and he went, look, and he, turned, he pointed. And I, I turned around right about where I was about to fall, there you go there's a four four and a half meter great white shark just cruising past yeah and while i know that i probably would have been fine my head had nearly touched the water when i felt backwards so i'm just like on the one hand that i should be frightened about that i should have been terrified about the fact that my head's just nearly falling in the water in open water in false bay you know a great white shark hot spot but no the the crew had just done everything they needed to do and got me safe and no issues whatsoever. But I still wasn't, I still wasn't scared. Yeah. The fear had just gone from from that whole experience. And the only reason I mentioned that is exactly that. If you recount that tale to someone who's never been shark diving, they think, holy cow, yeah. you know, you nearly fell in the water. Shark infested. In False Bay. Yeah. (laughs) Shark infested, yes. (laughs) Um, And before anybody starts commenting below about shark infested, yes, we know it's not shark infested water. It's just that's where they live. We know this. It was that contrast again that I'm here in the shark hotspot where you see breaching and, and predation behavior like nowhere else on the planet. And I've just nearly fallen in the water, but the fear was just not there. It had gone. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, it's, there's there's no fear with that. So that whole sort of range of, of emotions about, about what cage diving was just always felt like a safe thing. Now, at that time, I'd not seen any poor operators. Uh, I've since seen many and heard many experiences of some poor operators out there, which is why, again, I'm just so thankful that we we got the nod from somewhere Rachel got a recommendation that this guy Rob Lawrence is you know is the guy to go with and it could have been a very different experience I guess but you know it's turned out to be life changing
1: When they come back, they rave about this, the experiences and the rave about the shark. And this is so wonderful to see how these people actually change their the whole mindset and their whole attitude towards sharks after they've been exposed to them.
2: It was unbelievable. Definitely a worthwhile experience, right. uh, have yeah. to say that, yeah. What did you see? Saw big girthy sharks just swimming right on by. Yeah, he was, um, he was, he was a massive, massive guy, just circling around cruising. Uh, didn't look like you minded our company too much. Yeah. Something you'd do again? I'd do it every day if I could, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Don't get many sharks
0: in Leeds? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome,
2: it like shook us so hard. Do you like what you see on TV? Oh, it's much better.
4: Yeah, that, was totally all right. All right. that was so cool. Yeah, was scary? Not really. Yeah. No, nah. it was just yeah. checking us
2: out. Yeah, it was kind of just uh, cruising around. Yeah, there was, cool. one, there was one moment where it got like this close to the cage and I was just looking right at us and just cruised right on by. Yeah, I know, it got pretty close, but uh, that, was, that was definitely a spectacle. Saw loads of
3: sharks, big sharks as well, so yeah, fantastic. loved it. Overall, fantastic.
2: Everyone should do it. Cool. <laughs> I, I would do this every day it's huge it's absolutely massive the water's pretty murky so you can't really see it until it's like right there so you'll we'll just be looking out and see nothing and all of a sudden there's a shark right in your face oh, was... Can you do it again We're yeah, I'll, it in five I'll, minutes. yeah i'll go back <laughs> in yeah
1: so so would you say that you uh, after your experience in, in with the cage uh, did it sort of materially change your perceptions uh, about white sharks or did you really have a changed perception before you actually even went out there
0: all oh, right to- totally changed my perception Again, it was that the, the media has lied to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was all a lie. I mean, you know that some of the films, you know, Jaws and Hammy Hollywood films like the Deep Blue Sea, ones, so you know you know, they're selling that particular image just for ticket sales and audiences, but it genuinely did because other than that, the other information that I had at that time was, you know, you see the old vintage pictures of, of shark bites yeah. You know, everyone sees the damaged surfboard, or the you know picture of Rodney Fox with with the scars and things, and that that was a perception that I still held at that time. Yeah, so it hundred percent turned that around, and that's where I think the hook came of because I'd, I'd then come away and I'd put this footage together and I wanted to sell White Sharks on this little short film, you know, how that was basically just like a glorified home video. I wanted to try and capture that. And, and I thought I did. And Robin Carr obviously jumped on that and said, this guy's, you know, selling it the right way. And then when I started doing some promotional work for them and, you know, adverts for their for their business, it was always with a view of don't do the hammy music, don't do the drama, don't do the sensationalism. and Can we keep selling that image? Yeah. That turnaround on how I saw White Sharks carried on into two or three, four sort of promotional pieces for them. And it was only, it was while doing those that I kept going back and talking to to Karen particularly about could we do something else here? Could we take this a step further and try and sell that image? that we knew was the truth about White Sharks, about how they really behaved, and especially in that area, because that was our experience. We'd seen a tourist experience. What was the reality of it? What's it actually like to be there day in, day out, and live and work in that area? So what I ended up doing is essentially pitching that to Rob and Karen of like, would you guys be up for backing a documentary? you know a feature documentary not let's, let's go outside of let's spend our time to tell a story and, and and the experience would you be interested in getting involved with that and sharing your experience but also backing it and and help us you know produce this i'd worked on everything from some very high profile corporate video work and i'd done my own sort of film work and helped with a lot of independent filmmakers certainly nothing nothing sort of fancy but you know we, we told stories and i knew how to I had to put work together and got paid for it. So I thought, I can do this. I could sell that story. I'm sure I can. So we went to rom They were instantly but What we actually did, and I've still got the video of this, Rachel and I started looking at all the topics we'd wanted to get into around white sharks and what was the story in each one. So surfing, how do surfers think about shark cage diving. Why have some people got an issue with cage diving? What's baiting and chumming all about? What are the kids being taught in the area? You know, what are the less privileged people who don't get to go out on a shark boat, but live around that area on the doorstep of a white shark? What's the truth of how they, how they see sharks? And we started pulling all these topics together and literally where we were living at the time in my office was in an attic area. Literally, we were post-it noting on the wall. Putting the little post-it notes up with all the ideas that we had. And I've still got it on video because what I ended up doing was structuring what I thought was a narrative to a documentary. Because there's, there's a, a bit of a myth around documentaries that, well, you just pick a camera up and you just go film stuff and and whatever you get, you get, and you make a film out of it. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I'd actually seen, um, there's a, a surfing documentary about big waves called Riding Giants. Yes,
1: yes. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Fantastic documentary. In the days of physical DVD media, which we don't get, much anymore, it had the director's commentary on the disc. And the guy who made that, you know, a very experienced, award-winning documentary maker, actually talked about his process for the film, which was having a having a script, if you like, having a story and a narrative idea, and then building your interviews and your questions around that. So we posted you noted know, of this entire story, if you like, and all these sort of subcategories and, you know, and sub-narratives on post-it notes and filled this wall up. Rachel videoed me walking through that so I could send it to Rob and Cara and say, this is what I think this film should be. This is how you can sell a positive image of great white sharks in an interesting way with a narrative. And I just walked through that entire story sure. on Post-it notes, on video, and, and told them what the story would be and instantly got the comeback from them of, let's do this. Let's absolutely do this. Uh, what do you need from us? I'm like well, I need time on your boat. Ideally, not paying for it because that would be <laughs> that would be really expensive. Yeah. And and they they were absolutely on board with that. And that's kind of where that where that seed took off from. Um, yeah. And then and then obviously we started looking for people that we could talk to and, uh, and and who's who's in the know and what kind of people do we want to speak to and that's where the the different sort of the interviewees uh, came in, including. Yourself, and I still don't remember exactly how that happened. I think it might be Rob or Coran said you need to talk to Dirk.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I used to live not far away from Rob and Coran. I mean, I, in Simonstown. so it was just him. I was naturally drawn to White Sharks. Yeah, anyway, if you were to make another uh, words, are you planning to do a sequel?
0: Yes. Hundred percent. So it well here's the thing. Let me backtrack a little bit. the The thing is with that film, it, it was all about getting the right people. Okay, we've got the topics and we've got some footage, and you know we know where we can we can go and shoot, and we can you know get the budget and the backing we need to go and actually be there with some cameras. But we needed the the people, and that was absolutely key to it. So obviously, getting yourself was was fantastic because I'd seen your photography and then obviously I knew you were a writer. I'm not sure how long your your second book had been out
1: by that time. Yeah, you, you uh, published uh, Great White Shark Legend in 2014, I think it was. And uh, my book had been yeah. about, about two years, maybe three years before that. Uh, so, So it was not too long I, I did a lot of work and with rob i spent nearly eight years going out to do shark photography with rob during the season and so forth so you know i spent a lot of time
0: rob or car had said you need to you know if you want to talk to a guy about sharks then here's here's the guy and and then obviously we'd seen your book and it's like if we can get time sat with you you know i just don't know how it came about i don't it was all a bit of a blur i don't remember it was just like okay this guy's in and and we're gonna
1: set it up i was living in the US, usa by then and uh so, so i actually flew back mm. uh for for the interview and I had some other stuff to do, but I, you know, supposedly came down to uh, to to be with you guys on an uh, interrupt shop when we uh, did the interview. That is insane! That is insane!
0: Well, that yeah. okay, you had other things to do, but you you fly. Oh, I'll just fly from the states and come and <laughs> speak to these guys who I've never heard of who are making this film. I don't know what it's about, but it's about sharks. Absolutely. That's crazy.
1: Well, it's it's a, <laughs> I, I think it's worthwhile. I mean, you know, it's and look at the end product as well. It's, it's it's an awesome documentary on sharks and and telling the real story. and That's you know what I've you know what. What I've always been about is telling the real story about great whites that they're not these killers and besides obviously Robin and other people, you know, you were so akin to the feeling. Or the, the emotions that I wanted to share in terms of you know we are we these these sharks are misunderstood so so I think it was an easy uh, <laughs> an easy decision.
0: Well, I guess, but I think this is where from from like seeing your book. I mean, if anybody who's if you've not read the uh, second book, which is the magnificent, mysterious, and misunderstood white sharks book, it's available still. That you it's a it's a must. It's a must shark book. Uh, massively underrated because it should be in everybody's library. Thank you. Reading reading that book and the way you'd approached it again. Yeah, it was an easy fit because, like, well, here's a guy who's not only photographing sharks in the right way, but he's portraying them in the right way and writing about them in the right way. So when Robert O'Connor said that, you know, you'd be willing to do that, that was like, okay, bingo. There's, there's someone, because this film was all going to be about people and the people involved with sharks, not just about sharks. Yep. You know, we didn't have tons of fancy equipment to go out there and make a glossy, you know, it needed to be a very kind of down-to-earth, rooted documentary about the people's involvement with sharks, not just about sharks. So I read your books like this. Yes, 100%. If we can talk to Dirk, that's great. Obviously, Rob was going to be interviewed. It's just fantastic. And and his crew, really great guy called Gary Carstens, who just absolutely just brings the boat alive in the same way that Brandon used to, you know, really high energy, educational guy about sharks. Uh, And then we started looking around who else we'd want to talk to. Uh, I had this idea that we'd want to talk to children in the area in the Cape area yes. about what they're taught in school. And and Karen did a fantastic job. She lined us a day up where we literally just drove round for a day with people she'd put together who she knew who were willing to kind of stick their kids in front of the cameras and let us talk about sharks. And we met, oh, the kids were just amazing. I mean, the the energy and the the, the way they talked about ecosystems and, and how we need to protect sharks yeah. and how they're so excited about wanting to see sharks and getting cages when they're older was just like, that became such a, a good part of the book. And
4: do you know how that there's not many sharks left in the world now? Yes,
3: because they use their fins as fin soup and they just chuck the left with the body in the sea.
4: And what do you think about
3: that? I think it's very sad. And also, um, I didn't tell you that
2: a, that a great white can swim um to what is it? Uh, Australia from here and back. Some great whites. Because they put a um like a monitor thing, the people that do want to know about that and see how, how far they
3: swim. Tag. Yeah. When the shark kills, the blood goes out and some meat, little bit of meat float away, float away, and the bird is swoops down from the island and picks them up.
4: Would you live on the island? Nope. Why not? Stink. <laughs> Can you tell us why the island stinks?
3: Who's on the poo. <laughs> Whose poo is it? Seals. what do you think about um, people killing sharks? I think it's really cruel. So why is that? Why do you think it's cruel? Well, it's basically damaging our ecological system. Some people are worried uh, because
2: if there are too many, um, because if there are not enough sharks, there will be too many seals. And if there are too many seals, there won't be enough, like, fish and...
3: So why do you want them here? why do you think it's important Because it's gonna like um, it's gonna ruin the like ecosystem because it's like the whole um, food chain if they're like they're at the top of the log and then if they die then it's gonna overpopulate the other fish and then they're gonna it's just gonna go all wrong I think people who don't like sharks just don't understand them a well. while I mean because sharks are actually not that bad some sharks like a whale shark they don't eat people they eat corn and stuff.
4: So, no, no, I don't think they but... actually
3: really understand sharks if they hate them.
0: And then we got Alison, and, Alison and Cock as well, who yes. rarely, rarely, rarely does interviews. To be fair, and and I'm still kind of on. We got we got time with her, but she yeah. yes. she wanted to ask us a lot of questions about what we were making. And we, we went for coffee with Alison and she wanted to suss us out and see what we were about and what we were making. And again, I don't quite remember of how we got in touch with her, but we did and we reached out. And even once we got out there, we didn't know if we were going to speak to her. But then she said, "Kind of meet you? And we met in one of the little coffee shops in, in Simon's town and talked to over the film. And I think because I said that what I wanted to make was just the complete antithesis of what you see on Shark Week. And I think maybe she'd been burned a little in media before or was used to doing very like little bite-sized soundbite interviews after shark incidents had happened and yeah i could see why she was wary yeah.
4: i think look i think the fear what we need to recognize is that fear is not a bad thing you know um you know fear is a survival instinct for us i think fear is healthy you know i think that what we need to get over is those knee-jerk reactions um, and the, um, you know, sensational approach to dealing with that fear. I actually asked Sylvia all recently, in a presentation, you know, how do you keep the hope going? How do you keep the positiveness going? And she said, you know, you just have to recognize all these small pieces of change of kids, you know, seeing the ocean for the first time and enjoying the ocean and um, this impacting their lives positively, you have to really recognize these pieces of hope and you have to keep going. Um, because the alternative is not doing anything. And for me, that, that's actually not an alternative worth considering. So um, you have to just keep going.
0: Uh, but we we managed to get, you know, a couple of hours there, which again, a real contrast of of your, your input and ideas, her from a very sort of, you know, scientific study background, being involved with shark spotters and so on. Rob, whose knowledge is just second to none, uh, his crew working out there every day. They could, suddenly it's like we've got all these people involved and, the, and these people are the people that are going to tell the story. So we've got the narrative laid out and we've got the people lining up. We just need to ask the right questions that around all those different areas in the narrative and we'll we'll fit it together later. To answer your question about a sequel, one of the biggest responses we got from Great White Shark Legend was, was a little 10-minute segment where we're interviewing children about how they see sharks. Out of all the comments I ever get about that film, because again, it's not... I mean, it's an older film now, so it, I cringe slightly at how it was shot. You know, I could have done that better with modern technology, but this was 2013, so it was like you, you right. had what you had at the time. <laughs> We didn't have a whole host of money. It was very, like a very grassroots down-to-earth documentary. But this 10-minute section about interviewing children about how they see sharks is the thing that I've had more response to, I think, than anything else in that film. The shark personalities, which were very rarely talked about at that time, I think that's more popular now as a topic, and how children were educated about sharks, especially in an area where they go swimming in the waters where sharks are. So in terms of a sequel, I absolutely have something in mind to go out there and follow up on on that aspect around again around how children perceive white sharks and what the future generation looks at how they look at white sharks and contrast that with different countries about how in a in a landlocked country you know how do how do the children there see sharks is it different whereas opposed to the you know the children we spoke to in False Bay and in the Cape area they live alongside these sharks so is their perception any different so I'm really interested to do a piece around around like future generations again yeah um, and how how they perceive sharks in general, but specifically white sharks. So, but speaking of children, this little thing called children came along. Since we shot Great White Shark Legend, obviously we've been married and had children, and that basically puts everything on hold for a few years. Right. Uh, so I think I think we're at the point now where 100 I want on the agenda to to go out there and do a do a follow up piece.
1: What I'd love to see is actually, uh, and I'm sure a lot of our members would as well, how when you walk through your uh post-it note for your forest of post-it notes. I mean, that would be a really, I'd love to see that clip one day of, of how you actually conceptualized everything and uh, put it all together. But I'll, I'll certainly put I'll put that up as a clip. Which really
0: leads into the next section, which is in terms of getting close to great white sharks, which is what you do, we need to test those fears. It makes people test those fears. So I really want to do a section on then on fear of sharks. Why do we fear sharks? Sharks compared to other predators, you know why do we not look at lions or tigers in the same way Rachel often hit the nail on the head points out they don't have the cuddly side you could show a you know a majestic lion uh, or lion cubs you can't really show that side of a, a great well well you can show that side of a great white because that's what we're going to do <laughs> but that's not how it's normally looked at um, there's no flip side to it there's no sort of
4: there's no disney film about simba
0: no there's no disney film about (laughs) a little great white shark you know it's probably never (laughs) going to happen but we really want to get into the psychology of why we fear sharks uh, and maybe even fear the ocean in some respects this is where some of the guests um, guest thoughts will come into it as well and we'll try and get interviews with the guests and so on maybe even with myself and rachel because you know we went out there fascinated with sharks but having a real fear of You know, you get out there, it's, you know, what are we getting into? So uh, we're going to talk about the fear versus the reality. Um, So this whole section on fear of sharks will be a little bit more psychological, a little bit more sort of educational. The transition to which, into the next section, is basically all those fears justified, okay? Which leads us into what's it actually like living alongside great white sharks? Fascinatingly enough, to see the topics we wanted to discuss and then to get like your words and Alison and Rob and, and Gary and and all these and Brandon. Brand oh Brandon, okay. Here's a, here's a lesson in filmmaking. <laughs> so we've got all these people lined up for this film. One of the crucial people I wanted was Brandon Kilbride. Yes. We'd line him up. I really wanted Brandon. And Rachel had said we should really have him as well because he was a surfer and he worked on cage diving boats. And part of the controversy around cage diving, as many will know, is how the surfing community can view cage diving. We've had it even recently with the, our last episode of this podcast with the the amazing Dave Pearson of the Bike Club, who's you an know, Australian guy who talks about his trauma and experiences and support he gives others for, for shark bite survivors. Uh, even he's anti-cage diving, talked about it very openly. I'm very pro-cage diving. But I understand why a lot of the surfing community are maybe anti-cage diving. And he said the same sentiments. Well, it's conditioning sharks. It's bringing sharks into the area. I personally don't agree with that. I think it does maybe depend on where you are um, and and who the operators are and so on. But I can understand if there's cage diving operations right slap bang necks in eye distance of where surfers are surfing, I can I can see why there's an issue with some surfing. But Brandon straddled both of those worlds, and I I just had to have it. Be is the narrative in a large part of the the second half of the film just relied on that that split view of cage diving and surfing. It was a big one of the topics we wanted to discuss. Yeah, especially seeing as when we tried to get back in for the film, we had surf companies, surf brands, and other companies like I'll just say let's say some. High-profile energy drink companies who were also doing a lot with surfing videos at the time, and you know, promoting within surfing. So many of them dropped out because of the the potential backlash that we're going to get from surfers about cage diving. So I had to have Brandon. He just straddled both of these worlds, and I needed to see both sides of that from one person. And he's very he's very good on camera, and he's very talkative, and
1: you know, knows his stuff. He was also um, uh, uh, his 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 uh, kayak was was bitten by a shark. That's
0: right you covered that in your book I believe you had a piece on that in your book he
1: survived that as well and 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 you know he surfs with great whites he he works we used to work with great whites out there as well yet he still went surfing yep and you know I mean for me that is somebody who truly understands that sharks have a place in the ocean and that's why I really'm I'm, I'm so um you know I was so excited that you had you know him as a feature in your in your in your movie as well which which I think really brings it all together very good
3: when I was maybe around 10 11 years old. I mean, my mom bought me my first book, which was Sharks and Rays. You know, I think instantly from that day on, I was flabbergasted by sharks. I loved it, you know. Whether it be the smallest little cat shark that you see when you're diving at Skelly's Pool, or you see the big red whites jumping at Seal Island, they've all got the same passion for me now.
1: Their home, it's like going to the Kruger and wanting to walk around with lions. You don't get many people wanting to do that. (laughs) So by going for a surf and stuff like that, you're always taking a risk by just putting your feet in the water, even. You're taking a risk of going into their home. You don't know where they are, but they are, you do know that they're in the ocean somewhere.
3: You know, and a lot of people are are scared of white sharks, but you can't live your life in fear, you know. You gotta out there enjoy it and face
0: it but from a very behind the scenes point of view to just explain how especially like you know low budget filmmaking works i'd got brandon secured he's like okay yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna be free i'm still gonna be in like the cape town area and so that's great it's fantastic and he was gonna be one of our sort of first interviews and let's line it up so i'm sat with Rachel um, in the airport in Heathrow, coming down from the north of England, sat in Heathrow waiting for a connecting flight, just using the last chance I get on my Wi-Fi to check some messages. And there's Brandon on a Facebook message. Uh, bad news. I've uh, picked a job up in the Maldives, We're working like as a dive master uh, on a boat in the Maldives. All right, that's cool. Good work. When are you going? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I'm going tomorrow. I'm like, oh, come on. No. <laughs> you know, this guy's crucial to my narrative. Yeah. Oh, well, what can we do? How can we make it work? And I spent about an hour back and forth on Facebook messages lining up Brandon. How could we, how could we make this work? And we got the plan down with the timings yeah. that we landed in Cape Town. We had to get the rental car, get the luggage and everything. Head over to the apartment we were going to, who we were renting off um, off a couple of people we'd stayed with before in a guest house, and they said we've got an apartment you can use, and you know we're going to get all our gear set up there, and it's going to be great. But we had literally to get there, get the bags into the house, get the camera gear ready. We had half an hour, and then Brandon's down at the bottom phoning me saying, you know, I'm here, we need to go, we need to do this interview now. I've got to go in a few hours. You know, um, we're jet lagged, yeah. we're so tired, but we had to just pick the gear up, go to a place where we could do an interview. Thankfully, we'd done all the preparation we needed about what we needed to ask this guy so we we did went and did about two hours of an interview and then he said let's go to a surf spot i'll we'll go and do a little we'll get a bit of surfing footage and i'm like so exhausted at this time and thankfully i was because part of that going surfing after the interview we went to a little spot in uh, i think it was scarborough near simon's town mm-hmm. and he took us this little surf spot and at the time i'd got back in from gopro one of the one of the backers for the film who put some resources and back into us was gopro and they supplied me with tons of cameras and wanted me to shoot certain things on gopro cameras now this was when the now i think it was when the hero 4 black camera just come out like literally just come out and i'd got a very good relationship going with gopro and they'd sent me a whole bunch of cameras to go and shoot with but i'd said okay we've got brandon for this such short amount of time let's strap the latest gopro camera you know we can shoot in like 2k i think it was at the time high frame rate you know and stick it on the front of his surfboard So we did that and we rushed out and we stick this brand new GoPro on that's literally just come out and he goes surfing. There's hardly any waves. So it's like, okay, forget it. We're not going to get big wave surfing, but we'll see you on a surfboard on a GoPro. It'll work. It's good B-roll footage and it'll fit in. And he's out there for about 10 minutes paddling around, trying to catch a few waves and then starts walking out the water with the most dejected look on his face. Like something's wrong. And he's trying to motion something to me and I don't know what he's saying, but we're back on the beach with the other camera filming and he's pointing to the board and what he was telling me is that this brand new nice shiny GoPro that had just been released and we got from GoPro to go and use had popped off his surfboard oh, no. and he couldn't find it huh. no this is day one i mean not only day one literally two hours this has right. been here right. two hours we're exhausted we've got to go film this thing and now we've just lost the best gopro camera that we've got and the whole deal with gopro is that they wanted me to shoot certain things on like their latest camera right. <laughs> and he's just lost it in the water right shame. it's like a nightmare this is an absolute nightmare and oh bless him I still joke about it to him this day. He looked so dejected and embarrassed, and he just like, there's nothing he could do. And he's about to piss off to the Maldives on some nice fancy cruise ship, you know? Yeah. And here's me, you've just ruined my film. Thanks, mate. You know, you've just lost my nice camera. Yeah. Fortunately, I was that tired. I'd put the wrong camera on his board and I'd actually put one of the older models on. So I didn't know this until after, once we got back feeling like crap, because like, oh, that was such an amazing interview, but now, okay, where can I, I need to get on with GoPro and see if they can get me out one of these new cameras again. Uh, And it was only through searching through the bags and getting all the gear back out of the apartment I realized that, actually we'd we'd put the wrong camera on his board anyway so we still had the good one Uh, but there's ever a lesson in you know frantic filmmaking and guerrilla style filmmaking it was it was the worst start we could possibly and the best start because we got a fantastic interview with him and and he just sells that whole shark thing on film
3: seal island is very special it's very shallow on the one side very deep on the other side and the sharks are just so sneaky they they camouflage. You can I mean you can't see down on a on a wild shark from a depth, you know, and, and this is why they hunted sea island because they've got that advantage on the seals. They can come at, at 40, 50ks now, an and that's your last minute if he sees it he'll get away. But otherwise, he's breakfast. <laughs> Strong, powerful, graceful in how they swim, how they catch their prey. They are are deadly animals, you know, they can kill you, but they're not there to kill you, they're not looking to kill you. If my personal opinion, which I tell everybody, if white sharks wanted to kill humans, they could kill a human being every single day. There would be an attack every single day if you were their prime target, but you're not. Those lovely little seals which are swimming around Seal Island, with all the fat and all the blah, that's what they're after.
0: And it's the way they get those seals that is spectacular.
1: Breaching. Each breach is different. You know, although you get different types of breaches, you know, surface breaches, and you get your Polaris breach and these nice aerial breaches. It's it's never the same. It's every every occasion is special, every occasion is unique. There's been times out there, you know, where you don't get breaches, and there's times that you get a lot of breaches. But any special time I would say is, is yes when you get these breaches that are, are less expected. Like we have been reeling in the decoy, we didn't expect a breach, and then all of a sudden this magnificent Polaris breach happens right in front of you like totally out of the blue, everybody's like given up, we've towed the DK for 40 minutes and nothing's happened, and all of a sudden it just like pops up.
0: To really start to understand the great white shark, you need to get close. And to get close and get informed, we needed the input of the one man who practically put False Bay on the map for white shark breaching behaviour. The man who knows these sharks in this area better than anyone else. The legendary Rob
1: Lawrence. It's an amazing uh, uh, documentary that, that you guys did. And for me, it's, it's always been uh, the true message of what you know we wanted to issue, you know, embody it in terms of what a great white sharks all about. And as you say so elegantly in the movie... It's not about the gashing of teeth and the blood and the churned up water and the tail slapping and the you know shark rushing in with his mouth open. Mm. It's so much more, and that's why um, I simply loved when you put that out and I saw some of the first clips of uh, Great White Shark Legend. I was just blown away. I was loved. I loved the, the approach to it. I think also the cinematography on it. I, I know you complain about it because there's most newer stuff about it, but it was really great, and it still is great. I still reckon it's it's one of the best documentaries that I believe that should be seen. Wow, I'd really like to get more and more people to see this. It's just like the same thing with cage diving. People always complain about cage diving, but uh, the people's attitudes and perceptions have that have changed post-cage diving, and I've been on I don't know, countless trips on, on cage dive trips. You have a, a person going out with one mindset, you have a completely different person coming back, you know, on after they've caged dive and it's is all about, you know, sharks and how can we conserve them and, and your movie really shows that different aspect from sharks, you know, through your interviews, through your footage. I just really believe it's something that is way, way, way underrated and uh, you know, I wish we could get it out there more to be seen and uh really bring it out there. So I'd like you to tell everybody, where can we get uh, uh, a copy of your movie?
0: Hey, this is great. This is a legitimate plug. Normally I'm saying a little cheeky plug at the beginning of these episodes. Yeah. No, I made this film, I'll tell you. So this is a legitimate one. Um, it's an old piece, but we recently just put it out to uh, Amazon video. So if you're in the UK or the US, you can see that on Amazon streaming services. You don't even have to be like a, an Amazon Prime uh, member or anything. You can just go to Amazon, type Great White Shark Legend and if you can get access to the US or UK streaming services you will see it there. Alternatively it's on Vimeo. So if you just well you can go to the website greatwhitesharklegend.com or you can just go to Vimeo i kind of like an alternate to YouTube and they run a great on-demand service. It's on Amazon And it's on Vimeo, so no matter what your outlet, you can see it. But I I just want to pick up on something you said there, because one of the early things when we started putting some trailers out, Dirk, you've picked up on this more than anybody else I know, and I thank you so much for it, was the music that we used, because I was so conscious about using a different kind of music. I mean, even to the point like when I've done some work for and Rob, and I'm sure they want me telling this, I've submitted some work to them before about, because like when we came back, we did a little piece for GoPro and we did, we put like essentially like a day on a cage diving boat, a little piece together. And it's been their most successful little piece that we've ever put out there. So I think it's about 65,000 views at the minute, which for a... You know for their operation that's, a, that's, a, that's some good numbers uh, but even they sometimes would listen to my music choices and go eh, I love it but I'm not so sure about the music and with White Shark Legend I really really wanted to focus on a different kind of music so I wanted to ask you what was it about because you've always said that you love the music in the film what was it about that approach to the music particularly that, that you picked up on? Well at,
1: at first it wasn't it's your stereotypical um, White Shark music you know with the, the, the dramatic you know uh, sounds that you know the imp- pending doom. Uh, it was more something that I just could connect with. It wasn't that, you know, the uh, again, it, it busts the stereotypical view of White Sharks, which I think has got me interested in the first place. I just enjoyed it. It, it kind of drew me in and it, I wanted to, to see what this was all about. And it relaxed me actually to actually look into this and the uh, mm. I felt good when I when I was watching it because the music complemented the theme and it also complemented the the whole outlook that you were trying to present about you know how white sharks are being perceived and how they really are. The music I think is a very I think nearly an emotional etherical connection with with the topic. It can certainly sway either way. I mean, if you were to tune in the Jaws music. Mm. You would have flashbacks of, of Jaws and and you know all those ghostly scenes versus uh, you know the music that you chose. And um, I know that you compose some music as well, and, and you write writing music as well. So you have a great understanding about you know the whole emotion that people feel when they experience music together with the visual uh, message that you that you portrayed in, in in the movie. Well, some of that came from something you said
0: because we use this line in a trailer in your in your interviews. Because the way we the way I kind of edited the film when we came back, and again I, I kind of stole this approach from the riding giants director Mm -hmm. was to transcribe everybody's interview, like everything word for word, which is not, a quick, easy task, especially, you know, with you guys with the South African accents, you know, because you can't hit that button that Adobe does this nice little thing now where it can recognize and do speech recognition. This was early days. You didn't get any of that. So I've literally had to hand transcribe every single word that you guys said so that I've got that in my editing software. And if I want to pull a topic up, I can pull a topic up and say surfing. And here's all the clips that mention surfing. Really good way of of doing a documentary. But one of the things that you said And it was a line that we used in the trailer. It was about Seal Island. You talked about it being a a primal place. Yes. And and you'd used a line about, uh, you know, the, the, almost like the the sharks are like the gladiators and the seals are like the you know it's like this really kind of like epic gladiator sort of arena you described it but you you said a line and you said something about seal island and i'm going to quote my own from that i believe you said when you're out there it's like this place has been here for millions of years and it's a magical place when i heard that and when you were the way you were describing seal island that was a real spark for a certain type of music we need something very cinematic epic gladiatorial you know just something of the age of something very primal so you you probably don't know that, but your words in that little piece of that interview were, were really a driver for, wow. for the type of music that we should go with you know wow. I should give you credit for that I'm going to have to pay you now I don't
1: <laughs> no. know that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> I realize that my, my words had such an impact on uh, on the creation of, of you know the theme and so forth that, that you created with it it's a magical place when I go out there I must always realize how old this place is too it's been there for millions of years and this interaction that's happening between the sharks and the seals has happened there for countless of years before us.
2: Now people have a fear, but it's 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 a fear of the unknown a little bit maybe as well, that they they know that they've heard these stories, they don't know what's true, what's not true. Having a bit of mystique and mystery is probably good. Man's tamed pretty much everything in the world. White sharks are one of the last things they haven't managed to tame, keep in a zoo. It'd be good to have a good mystery out there still.
4: Everything that you've learned, about white sharks, what I'd read in books, what I'd seen on the TV, what I'd heard people say, I just realized how much they didn't know.
0: Dirk, I have quoted your words from that interview so many times, and Alison and Rob. There's so much, you know, amazing things that were said about White Sharks that resonated. I cannot tell you the amount of conversations, interviews. I've had this film shown at some schools before. I've used so many (laughs) lines that I've just ripped you guys off in conversations and and stolen your words. But, no, it was... uh, That's testament to your guys' knowledge about that area and those sharks, you know. And
1: and I think we speak with from passion as well. I mean, Rob has a lot of passion, uh, you know, and that's really imbued by by the I think by the people that we interviewed as well. There's a passion that they have for the animals, for conserving these particular sharks as well, and all sharks and in the ocean in in general. It's just amazing that uh, you know. I was really grateful that you put this this movie together you know, for the sake of of portraying sharks in a completely different light. And, and I still recommend that, you know, your documentary is definitely a must-see. I mean, you can give me all the National Geo and the the uh, Discovery Channel's one with, you know, which are nice, they're great, they're nice shots and everything like that. But in the end They the look day, amazing. They look fantastic. But at the end of the day, I'd rather want something that actually educates me on, on sharks. And this is what I've, I've been missing in, in all these other shows that we see. I don't see any education or very little education. That's what I'm missing. And that's why, you know, you bring something to something out, That is truly educational and it reflects the true habitat and behavior of the white shark as opposed to the one that's created for ratings and for headlines. Mm. And that's the real difference. And that's why, you know, just like I recommend everybody to go cage diving because it's just going to change your attitude and your perception about white sharks. The same thing I say, you know, you've got to go and watch this movie. It'll sum up the changes of perceptions that are so important to be able to conserve the species. Well, I
0: super appreciate that, you know, you were, you were helping to sort of promote this for a while, but it's, it's very frustrating because every year when Shark Week comes out, you know, we've got 48,000 members now on, on our group and... Everybody always says the same thing. Oh, man, it looks great and all. Yeah, it's really, really good. I really wish we could get back to some of the, the education about sharks. Yeah. And the whole time I'm sat here screaming like, well, go watch my flipping film. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's there. You have to balance that because obviously I've got a very personal connection with the film. But you have to balance it with how, how people access media now. To get somebody to even sit and watch an hour and a half, an hour 35 documentary, not many people want to do that anymore. The nature of how we access media has changed. If you're not hooked within 10 seconds of watching a video, you've scrolled past it and it's gone. And Facebook know this, YouTube know it, it's in all the algorithms for Instagram, Twitter, everybody. People scroll past it and the second that you don't see it, You've, you've lost them. They've gone. They're never going to get that pushed in front of them again. Yeah, it, I understand how social media and how, how video is accessed these days. And it is very different to what it used to be. But by the same account, it's like, I know it's my film and Rachel's film, but there's a film that I think you will get something out of if you're frustrated with the the kind of some of the nonsense we get on, on Shark Week every year.
1: Yeah, And I would, I mean, this is not a plug. This is like a real genuine, because I really enjoy the work that you've done. And I think it's so important that, you know, more and more people see this. And again, this is not just a plug for you. I just believe in your product and I believe in what you've created. Thank you. Is really something that people need to see. And I hope that more and more people will actually start tuning into you know the more realistic perceptions of white sharks and this is again what we portrayed and the people that in your film that spoke about it obviously you have that experience with these sharks and that you know we start bringing education back and that's why I'm really looking forward to your 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 sequel to this to see that also the next generation taking the torch going forward and, and conserving and protecting these sharks you know with the same passion that the generation that you filmed in in, in, uh, in your movie with the same passion and conviction going forward to protect these amazing animals
0: I think one of the things that's happened and and you you really need to sort of stop and recognise your your contribution here uh, to this Dirk. And I mean appreciate for some people listening this just might sound like a constant back and forth plug but this is not this is genuine passion for what we're speaking about here i was on the white shark interest group you know at the time that i was making this film i remember particularly while i was out shooting i was putting some stills from raw footage because you get back every every day after shooting you know really really long days it's not a it's not a holiday it's really grueling work to be out there on a boat for so long and then get off the boat and then go and film loads of other b-roll footage and interviews and go down to cape point and it sounds weird wonderful, but it's hard work. But I was posting some of the still images every night onto, it was Reddit at the time, a shark group on Reddit, and getting some amazing response and genuinely feeling like having that connection as a filmmaker with an audience before you've even made the film while you're making it is is amazing. And I was on the White Shark interest group at the time, and I was drawing a lot from the kind of conversations and the debates and how people were talking about white sharks while we were even making the film, like literally out there. So then when we came back and we finished it, and again, I was just a member of the group at the time, I'd reached out to yourself uh, and talked about, you know, can can I put a trailer up? Is that cheeky? Do you mind if I put a trailer up? And you were like, go for it, do it, you know? I mean, obviously you were in it, so it was good to have your words coming out, but you were like, yeah, absolutely promote it. And then somewhere in there, I ended up been an admin on the group as well with just some remarkable people you know the the fellow admins on this group are just the passion and and experience and knowledge i mean i I feel like a fraud sometimes because these guys know way more than i do in terms of like the science and and the laws and the the ethics and so on and i'm a guy who made a film because i love sharks but that period after making the film and then getting more involved with your group and now ending up you know working with with those amazing people, fellow admins and, and all the members of the group who contribute that actually has, has helped changed how I then want to go on and make more documentaries and more works on sharks yeah. because I have such a better understanding now. Uh, than I did when I made that film.
1: For me, always it was, and again, I speak from personal, my personal opinion here is that going out to Seal Island was always, was always an excitement going out there. I think that's also brought up on, you know, about your film when you bring it out there. And, you know, I know you quote on the magical, it being a magical place, but it is a magical place. It's been around there for millions of years. Mm. These interactions between Seal and, and, and Shark have happened for, you know, millennia before us. And they still will, they will occur and they will occur for millennia after us. It's just this like, you know, to be able to be it, even for the short period of time in this in the, their presence is uh, you know always a magical moment. It's uh, I think is very very well captured in, in 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 your production that you've that you've brought out. One of the people we met on the
0: boat who's in the film is a is a lady called Gemma. I'm from uh, the north of England. Uh, I was living in time at the time in you know sort of the Sheffield area of the UK. If any of our UK listeners know that, and then I'm on the boat out there and you hear an accent and it's someone from uh, a, a city called Leeds, which is kind of like just next to Sheffield. So. She was terrified. She was petrified about being on the boat. She obviously had a draw to be out there. She actually was out at Seal Island. She ended up, I think she spent a very, very, very short amount of time in the cage because she was obviously just some, you know, fear was with her. Mm -hmm. But that short amount of time she was in the cage didn't matter. It it was the time that she spent out at Seal Island, just observing sharks, observing the seals, observing the wildlife, was so magical that that alone was enough to sort of change her perception about like that part of the world and what she'd seen about, you know, white sharks. She didn't even need to be spending five hours in a cage. You know, it was just being in that place. And again, it's hard to describe, but your words say, oh, it's it's a magic place. There's something about that piece of water and that land that, I don't know, there's something very, very magical and primal about it. It's very hard to explain
1: we are we're just so fortunate to be able to be able to view this short interaction you know, in their lives you know i mean they obviously live in the water and, and it's their home and i've always said sharks can never infest their own environment because that's where they live hmm. and the same goes for the seals i mean you know they are aware of, of their sharks they're acutely aware of the sharks they, they obviously use anti-predatory strategies and you can see that coming through and their behavior trying to outwit the sharks but yet they they live there and this is the cycle of life and it's been like that for you know Millions of years, and uh it's just a yeah it's it's one of my favorite places in the world it its It smells like hell if the wind's in the wrong direction, <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah, you
0: certainly know when you're approaching the island, don't you yeah, <laughs> and at, been... at five thirty in the morning, oh, not so good on the stomach eh yeah but interesting but again robs rob's footage he had rob's kind of archive of tapes, which are very, very well protected now. I have them here and they're very well looked after. That right. They they just captured years and years and years worth of the island. So in amongst all these, you know, I mean, suddenly I'd got 60, 70 breach, breaches on camera, which right. is just phenomenal. But in amongst all that other stuff was the other stuff going on. It was orcas. It was pods of dolphins, you know, alongside the boat. Robert shot it was you know just the sunrise like footage of those the sunrise every day over those mountains is is phenomenal it's something you you just can't you have to be there and experience it Uh, and the sky is just vast and open and the the colors every day are different and the water's acting differently every day and it doesn't even matter if you don't see a shark you know the the just the experience of being there is just something else. Right. Yeah. So that's what we wanted to try and capture on on the film. To be fair, that was one of the one of the aims. Can we get even a, a tenth of what it's actually like to be out there? I think we did all right. I think we captured it
4: as best we could. Yes, we we're a business, and you know we we have a livelihood to to make. But it's very much that that personal touch and that personal interaction, the fact that we. We've limited our, our um, number of guests to, to 10 to 12 and haven't gone the big route of, of having 40 guests on a, on a boat is, um, you know, is, is a huge thing. Um, another thing that we have Rob, who's been in the shark industry for 20 years, still on almost every single trip, is unheard of in this industry.
2: Anywhere from like 120 to 130, 140 trips a year, um, that would more or less be day. some days. We'll do two trips, obviously, weather 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 impacting us, but it, it varies. But around to be on the conservative side, around about a hundred days a year, we're we'll out interacting with the white sharks.
0: What about you personally?
2: Just about a hundred days a year.
3: I think Rob's just happy with with the way he is. You know, he doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't have the need to go out there and. Mr. Cameraman or the Big Shark Man or anything like that.
2: No, no, I'm just old Rob, no, all these names are not up for me, yeah. Shark legends play. there's too many shark legends out there, I'll just be old, uh, plain old Rob, things. so.
1: It really speaks to what, in my opinion and in my experience was you know, working with sharks for many, many years, it really portrays the real the real white shark that's why great white shark legends um is for me one of the best documentaries of all time
0: that's some high praise sir i it's not it doesn't go lightly on me that is that is extreme high praise and i massively appreciate it i i do wonder it's a shame because all those documentaries that we're talking about which i don't i don't even think of them as documentaries they're tv shows it's reality tv shows to be fair they're not documentaries they don't document anything they they film it you know, and then they put some captions on and a voiceover track. There's some really good people work on those things. There's some really genuine, you know, shark advocates and some really talented people. Obviously, the quality of the equipment they're using and the the skill of those, you know, camera people and divers is second to none. I don't even pretend to be in the same league as those. But one of the things I wanted to get across today and talk about briefly is... You don't need to be at that level to go and make a film about about sharks or about white sharks you don't you don't even need to be at the ocean to be fair if there's a story to be told the equipment now and the and the tools to do the job are so cheap that you don't need to be there so a good example of that When we were originally starting putting together Great White Shark Legend, one of the things that fell by the wayside and what I want to pick up in another piece is about how different countries view white sharks. And I got a guy, particularly over here in the UK, and another guy I had over in France who basically said that they would assist. And they went out with a camera just interviewing people on the street about sharks. And what I wanted to do was compare people's reactions and about how they spoke. So whether that was, and we use some of it in the film because there's some shots on, on the Musenberg Beach in South Africa it, talking to people about sharks. And then I was going to compare that and contrast it with people from different countries around the world. Mm-hmm. But this guy took out with a camera and got so excited about going out talking about sharks with people. And and their reactions to him. So I mean, whether it was a, a guy in, you know, in his university dorm room we literally just knocked on the door opening and said, Tell me what you know about white sharks and they had like got so stoked to talk about them. Or people on the streets who were like, Oh, I've seen Jaws, it's all about the teeth and things. You know, you don't have to be working for some high budgeted production company to make a film you might be going out just to the ocean looking at you know you know small shark species it doesn't even have to be about great what if there's a story to be told the tools to do it as a filmmaker now are there if you have any interest because a lot of people have said to me like oh it must be so glamorous going out making a film about sharks I'm like hell no not at all it's hard work and it can cost some money and we were very fortunate to have the people backing it that we did like gopro and like robert's company and it doesn't matter if there's a story to be told and there's a story about sharks go tell it, it doesn't matter whether that's a few people talking to camera or whether you're actually going out on a dive there's still ways of, of telling that story and putting uh putting a film together so i just encourage anybody who gets involved in that area and wants to know about how you do that on a small scale with a lower budget go Go do it, or contact me, and I'll tell you how to go do it.
1: Well, there, there you go. I mean, now, now that's a now that's an invitation for many uh, to go out there and actually, you know, fulfill some of their, their passions and their dreams to actually you know, do something like that. And uh, I believe that every piece of doc, every piece of film documentary that's being put out there towards this and portraying sharks like that will eventually sway the public opinion more and more that you know to see sharks a hmm. different light. The greatest, um, I can say, the greatest accolade I can I could give to a movie is that it changes people's perception and that's really what it's all about you know we've uh, we've lived with these perceptions about great white sharks you know in the especially in the media growing up as a you know a good shark but as a dead shark you know these perceptions are changing and uh, you know even if my my mother who uh, you know had that kind of perception and she was thought I was absolutely crazy and suicidal wanted to want to die with great white sharks she thought uh, she's changed her perception and if somebody who you know 82 years of age can say you know what you're right about your attitude about sharks and we do need them that for me is always something great and this is after seeing documentaries like yourselves like your your documentary just look at it and say you know what you got a point anybody who can change your opinion for me is a it's a successful way of of gauging the outcome or the success of, of any production that that comes out and you know you, you always speaks to, to this very, very well.
0: I'm honored just to have any any part in a, in a more sort of wider right. aspect of, of you know shark conservation and shark awareness because funnily enough, after we made the film and we came back and we edited it, uh, GoPro's approach had very much changed by them. Originally, we were going to be talking to them about doing more with the film itself and their their brand identity had changed massively by the time we put the film together and they were like, look, we, we don't ask for anything back. We gave you everything we gave you for it. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't want to put our name on it because it doesn't fit in with our brand anymore. Huh. Um, unfortunately, that was exactly the same time they started sending me video clips of Ocean Ramsey grabbing on the back of sharks and riding them and going, wow, look, at! have you seen what we got on GoPro? We got Ocean Ramsey on a shark. And I'm like, yeah, clearly we are in very different places now. Right. Prior to going out shooting it, they were very much like, wow, just the idea of putting a GoPro in front of a great white shark then not many people were doing it when we went out and filmed everybody suddenly you know had a gopro but no one was really putting the footage out there and then unfortunately gopro went that way but they were they've been very kind and we've a very very good relationship with them since in fact we recently just gave a hero 8 camera away on on one of the other podcasts so if you didn't tune into that you missed out because that was a on offer again how people are filming sharks now and how accessible it is is completely different the idea that something has to be as dramatic as sticking your camera in the mouth of a great white. Like shark, by accident, I might add, it doesn't have to be that way. a story. There's got to be a story in it, whether that's a piece of writing or you want to post something on our group or you've got some old footage you shot while you were on a holiday cage diving or something. Like you said, every positive piece of, of footage is going to be out there. So I'm just I'm just honored to have some part in that where, you know, there's not actually many people telling that story. It's not an accessible story for many people, but I like to think if you sit and give it 20 minutes, you'll be hooked and it is
2: accessible. Going on Facebook and when there's like anti-shark finning campaigns and that those are the people that are into sharks, whether they do diving or whether even if fishermen or whatever, they're the ones that know and interact. The big thing is going to be changing border-based perception, like the local talk radio shows. The only time they talk about sharks is when there's been a shark attack.
4: They are predators and they need to be respected for being predators but they are not man killers or man eaters. And so it's providing information that is balanced and to form a healthy respect and to have a healthy fear of sharks.
2: It's going to have to start off from a young age group, from the super young guys like Adam and Jordan, and they can tell their friends and that, but it's it's going to be very hard. I think it's probably going to be generations because it's, it's going to be hard to sell a message that people don't want to hear. I've had a member only last
0: week check the film out and came back, you know, messaging me saying, Exactly what you've been saying. People should see this film, and that sounds quite egotistical. But I'm just honoured to have a part in shark conservation. I'm not making not making a ton of money off it or anything, you know.
1: If people made a ton of money out of it, you know, we'd we'd have every Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know, in in this world. And I'd rather have I'd rather work with people that are sincere and can speak with conviction and with passion about uh, the experiences. You know, that for me is is way much more. And uh, and again, thank you you for uh, you know being uh, having me as part of your movie and for sharing these amazing insights into uh, the filmmaking and uh, put forth the jubilations of, of of making these films
0: uh that used to be a massive part of my my life for a while I was making that movie but now a massive part of my life on a well, a pretty hourly basis, to be fair. This is the White Shark Interest Group on Facebook, which is why we're now doing what we're doing.
1: I was super tickled also that you uh, did this fantastic intro for us, which uh, also just shows the ability of, of what you can do uh, is really amazing. So thank you for the intro for the great White Shark Interest Group too as well.
0: Uh, more than welcome. Uh, a pleasure as always. And uh, just a shout out to fellow admins and members. It's, uh, it's nice when we do get together and have a chat on these things and take some time out.
1: Again, thank you so much, Ricardo, for sharing your insights and your uh, uh, amazing experiences with, with White Sharks and what led you to make this uh, really, really outstanding documentary, The Great White Shark Legends. Do
0: you want me to jump into the other chair now? Get back to the... Should we turn the table back around? And, uh... <laughs> Go for it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> the um... music will start playing about now if I've done my job properly. So, yes, thank you all again to the listeners. These podcasts that we're doing are really starting to get some uh, some great feedback and we really do appreciate everyone of our 48,000 members. Thank you so much for checking this podcast out and being a member of that group. If you're not a member, as I've said before, head over to Facebook, search the White Shark Interest Group click join, tell us why you want to join the group. And if it's because you heard the podcast, I'm seeing this quite a lot now. People saying heard the podcast and I want to join. Absolutely. Give us a shout out. And you can also find us on Instagram at white Shark underscore interest group, where we also put up as well as the images. We like to include a little bit of facts and knowledge around those images as well. And I'd encourage anybody, photographers out on the group, if you want to showcase any of your work, please get in touch and we'll happily feature that on the Instagram page. You can also find us with a lot of very short, quick links to other things on the Whitesharkinterestgroup.com website. So I guess uh, I'm supposed to thank you, Dirk. So thank you for your time on Turning the Tables as well today.
1: Great, and I'm I'm happy to turn it back over to you again. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: Okay, so until next time, folks, we will see you on the next episode.